We're going to take one more short break from the book of Colossians today. We're actually going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and actually going to back up to verse 10 and begin reading in 10, although our focus will be on verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy is Paul's second letter, or at least the second letter that we have preserved for us in the scriptures to Timothy. It was written at the end of Paul's life. More than likely, he is in prison when he writes this, and more than likely, this is his last time in prison before he is executed under the reign of Nero. It's a very personal letter to Timothy. It's a letter of, a, of an old man who is facing the end of his life and writing to his friend, kind of imparting those last few um, lessons that he wants to impart and then also wraps up with saying, Timothy, please come visit me and please come visit me soon. And so part of the wisdom that Paul desires to give to Timothy is about the word of God. And so we begin reading in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things have happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you so much for these words from Paul. We thank you for the for the personal nature of this letter that he has sent to Timothy as he is trying to impart, as it is, his last lessons that he seeks to give to Timothy. Thank you for this look into these lessons that Paul gave to Timothy and help these lessons to be life-changing to us. We live in a world of competing gods, gods that have eyes that cannot see, Gods that have ears that cannot hear, feet that cannot walk, noses that cannot smell, and mouths that cannot taste. And we are tempted to follow those gods. And when we follow those gods, we become like them. So change us today. Make us not like those gods. Open our eyes so that we can see you. Open our ears so that we can hear what you have to say to us. Open our mouths so that we can taste the sweetness of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had an opportunity several years back to go to a, a Christmas Eve service at a different church, and I was struck in that Christmas Eve service by the lack of Scripture being read. In fact, there was no Scripture read whatsoever. I asked the worship leader after the, the service was over, why, why no Scripture? Well, there's such rich story in the book of Luke, why, why wouldn't you read from Luke or Matthew to, to show us the glory of God in Christmas? 
And he said, well, we made a choice between having a, a, a service that reached out to people in the community or having a traditional service. And so we chose to reach out to the people in the community by leaving the scriptures out of our Christmas Eve service. Needless to say, I was appalled. Things have changed to that church since then, and, and they have a, a very high view of the scripture. So God is able to work even in, in difficult circumstances. But why is scripture such a part of our worship service? We open with scripture from a psalm. We we read scripture. We pray scripture in praying the Lord's prayer. We have an Old Testament or a New Testament reading. We read the scripture as part of our sermon. And, and I use scripture as our means of being assured of the pardon that we have from God. Why is scripture such an important part of our worship service? Well, I want to look at this script at this particular scripture today, this particular word from Paul to Timothy and see that scripture is important for two reasons. Number one it is important because it leads us to wisdom for salvation And it also leads us in our walk with God. First, Scripture leads us in wisdom for salvation. Paul begins in verse 14 by telling Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. How do the Scriptures make us wise for salvation? I think the scriptures do this in in teaching us two main things. They teach us about God and they teach us about us as humans, as mankind. First off, actually going to look at what they teach us about us first in the in the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis chapter one through three. We see the foundation of humanity. We are taught who we are as humans. We are created in the image of God. We are created to represent God's glory, God's authority, God's majesty upon this earth. We are created in order to rule under his authority upon this earth as as representatives of God for all of creation. God planted Adam and Eve in a garden, gave them commands to tend the garden, to expand the boundaries of of the garden so that God's glory might reign over all the earth, not just in that patch of land that he had given them called Eden. And then God says, you have these positive rules of filling the earth, multiplying, extending the boundaries of the garden, keeping and tending the garden. And I give you one negative rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents All ethical knowledge. God says, here are your positive rules. Here's your negative rule. Follow them and you will live forever. Break them and you will surely die. Well, the accuser enters the garden in the form of a servant serpent. And he says, did God really say don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve responds, well, yeah, not only did he say not to eat of it, he said not to even touch it. She's gone beyond the law of God there. And the accuser, the liar, the father of lies comes to her and says, you're not going to die. In fact, you will become gods yourselves. You will become like God. 
and have this knowledge of good and evil, which we as humans cannot handle on our own. And he convinced Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the garden. And it reveals to us in that moment that our relationship with God is broken. It is severed. We stand before God as sinners. We carry with us what's called original sin. And we sin ourselves. And God says you are judged for your sin. And you stand before God condemned Because of your sin. Now, God did give Adam and Eve a grace. He did not kill them immediately. He left them alive. And and none of us are killed immediately whenever we sin. We are left alive for opportunities to seek forgiveness. But why is that such a big deal that we sin before God? It's because as Scripture reveals to us, God is a holy God. Now, holiness has this sense of otherness to it, but it also has a sense of ethical perfection. Moral perfection. And because God is perfectly righteous, because God is perfectly just, because God is creator of all things, because God is sovereign over all things, and because ultimately God hates sin, we must be condemned. We must be judged for our sinfulness. We cannot stand in the presence of God because of our sinfulness. We deserve eternal condemnation because of our sinfulness and God's holiness. But scripture doesn't leave us there. It makes us wise for salvation, not wise for condemnation. Scripture goes on to teach us that God saw that man could not handle things himself when it comes to reconciling the relationship with God. And God entered into a plan of salvation. He was not surprised by our sinfulness. He was not surprised by our fall. He declared from before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of this earth, that history would work out the way it has. And he declared that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, would take on flesh and dwell among us. He would follow the laws that we could not keep. He would glorify God where we seek our own glory. He would live a perfect life, earning for himself the benefits of perfection, the benefits of law keeping, and yet would take upon himself the punishment for law breaking, would take upon himself the separation from God that we deserve, would take upon himself the condemnation that we deserve for our sins so that we might have his righteousness, so that we might be declared holy. So that we might be declared children of God. For those who believe, for those who embrace, for those who believe in their hearts and profess with their mouth that God has raised Jesus from the dead. The benefits of law keeping are yours because you are righteous before God. You are now a child of God. You're not a slave to sin, walking around unable to turn from your sinfulness, unable to turn to God. He works through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to change us, to save us from the condemnation that we deserve because we are sinners before God. Scripture makes us wise for salvation by declaring to us the truth about who we are and the truth about who God is and what he has done for us. But Scripture is not only for those who are lost. 
We do not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We do not come to a a place of belief in Jesus. And then we are suddenly free from our obligation to Scripture. We learn in the in the latter part of the passage that all Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not only does Scripture bring us into the kingdom of God, but it teaches us how to be good citizens in the kingdom of God. Scripture comes to us. It is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. Peter, in one of his letters, talks about the spirit moving in the prophets to give us the words that God would have to give to his people. God has spoken through men in the scriptures. He has not subverted their personality. If you read through the scriptures, you will see different personalities. We have a tendency sometimes, or at least I have a tendency sometimes to read through the scriptures as if it's written by one single human author. And if we take the time to study the scriptures, we'll see the personalities of the author come out. As a good Reformed Presbyterian, I understand that the letters of Paul are the scriptures and the rest of it is just there as support. And I'd say that jokingly, please understand that. But if you read through the letters of Paul, which I am most familiar with, unfortunately, oftentimes, you'll even see Paul's personality change throughout his letters. If you read the book of Galatians, it has a much different tone. It has a an almost antagonistic tone as he is dealing in his early ministry with the fact that people have abandoned the gospel. And yet, if you compare that to Second Timothy, you'll see a fatherly tone come through. An old man who has been through the persecutions of following Jesus, who is facing his death and desperately wants to communicate with his dear friend and son in the gospel. But both of those letters and the other 64 books of the Old and New Testament are breathed out by God into men who have written them with their personality, expressing the truth that God gave them to give to their original audience and to give to to us as well. But why did God inspire Scripture? Not only to make us wise for salvation, but also to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train in righteousness. We are adopted as sons of God through the through the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. But we don't know how to be sons of God. We don't know how to be children of God. So the first thing the scripture does is it teaches us. It teaches us about who God is. It teaches us about what God has done. It teaches us about how we are supposed to live. It it gives us the means by which we can live a life that glorifies God. Now, it doesn't give us instructions for repairing a 1952 Chevy. But it gives us instructions for how to be a God glorifying mechanic or auto restorer. It teaches us what we need to know about God and about ourselves. It rebukes us. Do you know that even when we've been taught to live, even when we have been adopted as sons of God, we still continue to falter and fail when it comes to following the rules That scripture teaches us. I do. And I would. Be safe in guessing that you do as well. And so when we falter. When we fail. We may not realize it. And yet the scripture rebukes us. 
in those falterings, in those failures. Sometimes the rebuking is tough because we think we are living life in a way that honors God. And yet we find out as we read through scripture that we're not. But it doesn't just rebuke us. It corrects us as well. You know, if I go to one of my children and I say, you're doing this wrong. And punish them for it and turn around and walk away and never teach them how to do it right. I've done them a great disservice. Discipline is not only pointing out what my children have done wrong. It is setting them on a correct path. The scripture does that for us as well. As it teaches us doctrine, as it teaches us the law of God, as it teaches us how to seek his glory. As it shows us our sin and rebukes us for our sin, it also corrects us and sets us on the path that God would have us to follow. And finally, it trains us in righteousness. As I said before, even though we are adopted as children of God, we don't know how to live as God's children. We need to be trained to know what righteousness is. We need to be trained to know that I am not righteous in my own strength. I am righteous in the strength of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says earlier in the book of Philippians to work at our salvation, to to pursue holiness in our life. Well, we need to be trained in that pursuit. So the scriptures do those things for us. And why do they do these things for us? They do these things so that the man of God, the person of God may be thoroughly equipped, may be completely equipped for every good work. Do you wish you knew what ministry God wants you to do? You do know what ministry God has called you to. Because it is the place where you are today, whether you're a stay at home parent, whether you're a a, somebody who works long hours in a job, whether you're retired, you have been called to a ministry right where you are, right where you are doing. And God has thoroughly equipped you for the work that he has called you to do right where you are right now. And he has equipped you through the scriptures. He has equipped you through drawing men to write down his words. Drawing the church through the power of the Holy Spirit to compile these 66 books into what we know as a Bible. Into what we know as the scriptures. Why are we given the scriptures? We're given the scriptures to make us wise for salvation. We're given the scriptures to make us wise for our sanctification as well. Statistically, every American household has on average five Bibles in it sitting on a shelf. My family raises that number pretty well, I'm pretty sure. But how many of us actually know the Bible. We say we want to know God better. We want to love God more. But are we willing to open our Bibles? We say we want to know how to glorify God more and live better for him. And we want to improve our walk with God. But are we willing to study the scriptures? And I'm not just talking about opening it up, reading three or four verses, closing it and saying, thank you, Jesus, for the scriptures. Although that's a good start. But the longer we are in this life, the longer that we are children of God, we should desire to study the scriptures because they reveal to us who we are, 
who God is, what he has done for salvation and how he calls us to live. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures that reveal to us the, the way of salvation. They reveal to us the condemnation that we deserve as sinners. They reveal to us the plan of salvation that you have given so that we might be reconciled to you. And we thank you that for those of us who have professed with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you have raised Jesus from the dead. They also show us how to live to be renewed daily in the image of God. Drive us to the scriptures. Create in us a desire to study, to learn more about you, to be taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.